What's up, everybody? Hey, I'm coming back with another podcast today. We are going to be talking about Romans 7. This scripture has been, I would say, controversial throughout the years as far as its interpretation and, and whatnot. So let's pray. Let's get into this. And I want to share with you the freeing message of Romans 7. Let's pray. Jesus, I so thank you for today. Holy Spirit, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, God, that we may know you better today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to us, God, that we have been set free from sin. God, that sin is no longer our master, that Jesus, you are our master. And Jesus, I ask, God, that you would break our paradigm today. I ask that you would help us to see the truth of your word in Romans 7. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So growing up, I know I go back to a lot of times when I was growing up, but growing up, I heard this passage of scripture and I heard preachers teach on that this is my lot in life. You know, I as a Christian, I would struggle with sin until the day that I die. And, you know, I do what I don't want to do. And then I don't do what I should do. And there's just constant battling in my mind, in my spirit, just constant clashing of, you know, Holy Spirit, what he wants to do and the flesh and what it wants to do. And most of the time the flesh wins out because it's more powerful than Holy Spirit. Like the, it, there was no freedom, guys. And I know that a lot of Christians deal with this. They they feel like they're stuck in this limbo. And what I want to teach you in Romans 6, Romans 7, and then Romans 8, we're going to be talking about Romans 8, is that you are free from sin. And then Romans 7, it talks about the law. We're, we're going to be talking about Romans 7 today. And then we're going to be talking about Romans 8. Romans 8 is Holy Spirit coming in and giving you the power to actually live out this Christian life. So let's start out in Romans 7. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law. So he's literally talking to the Roman church that know the law. He might be talking to Jews at the time, but they know the law. Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Okay. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So what he's trying to correlate here is that a person is only under the law as long as that person is living. So if, you know, if my wife, we've been married for 13 years, if she went and, you know, married another man, she would be committing adultery. But if I die and she remarries, she does not commit adultery. So he says here, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point of this, this example that he's giving. This is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. When did you die with Christ? In Romans 6. 
you were united with him in his death. He died. He took your old sinful self and crucified it with him on the cross and buried it in the ground. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. So now your old sinful self that was underneath the law was crucified with Jesus. So now it died. And now you are united with him who was raised from the dead. So now you are raised in newness of life with God. And now the law no longer applies to you. You have been set free from sin because the law has been done away with. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Now, I don't know about you, but I have kids. So when I tell them to do something and they do it anyway, it gets them in trouble, right? Now, what he's saying here is that the law aroused those evil desires. Me telling my kids not to do that made them want to do it. It's just sick and twisted, but it's just the way that it is. And that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now, I love those two words, but now, we have been released from the law because we died with Jesus. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. The power of sin and your old self has been taken off, y'all. It is gone. You are no longer slaves to sin. Sin will have no dominion over you. Ah, so good. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. Guys, th this is the dichotomy. It's not in obeying the law that makes you righteous. It's not in obeying the law that makes you worthy of heaven. It's not obeying God's law that will make you free. It is literally considering yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. It is identifying with the crucified, buried, and risen Jesus that makes you free from the letter of the law. And now, walking in the newness of the Spirit, it says, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So we're no longer living according to the law. We are living according to God's Spirit, which is so much higher because He lives on the inside of us and He is God Himself. So God himself has made his home on the inside of us. We'll talk about this in Romans 8. And he actually writes the laws of God on our hearts. That's Ezekiel 20, 36, sorry. So it's so much higher than just living by the law. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? <laughs> no, of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. See, the law, God's law, his moral law, the Ten Commandments, shows us what is wrong with us. You know, it dives into the very depths of 
why we sin, why, why we do the things that we do. And it shows us what's really wrong. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. You know, if we didn't know what was wrong, like our action, what made our actions wrong, they would never be wrong because we wouldn't have anything to buffer them against. And this world is trying to do that. They're trying to say that, no, this isn't wrong. This is just, you know, they try to put different language around it when in all reality, God has given us his law to tell us, no, this action is wrong. You know, adultery is wrong. Lying is wrong. Wanting what your neighbors have is wrong. Putting something before God is wrong. You know, and and it holds us to a higher standard, which this world does not want. They want to have freedom to do whatever they want. But in all reality, it's just freedom to get trapped into more and more addictions and chains. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came into life, came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy. It's holy because it came from God. The, the Ten Commandments are actually God's heart on paper. If you read, if you read them right, it will show you the exact opposite of what it actually says. So let me explain. So don't commit adultery because I want to be your one and only. Don't lie because I am the truth. Don't covet what you, what your neighbors have because I am your everything. Don't put other gods before me because I am a jealous God and I long to have you with me constantly, all the time. I long to be with you. See, like God's heart is wrapped up in the law. And what sin did was it took that law and showed us what was wrong with ourselves, and it actually killed us spiritually. But still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy, right, and good. But how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin was the thing that killed us. Sin used what was good to bring out my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. See, guys, when we sinned, we disobeyed God. And therefore, sin brought death. The wages of sin is death. So in verse 14, this verse is the most pivotal verse in this entire chapter. Verse 14 says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. Now, I want you to see this. In verse 18 of Romans 6, Paul says that you are no longer slaves to sin. 
and you have become slaves to righteousness. You are no longer slaves to sin. Sin has no dominion over you. So why would Paul write right here, the trouble is with me for I am all too human a slave to sin. Something to think about. We'll get to it in a second. Verse 15, it says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. For if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. That sinful nature was crucified on that cross and buried in the ground. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. Now, I want to point something out here. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a very smart man. He studied under Galimiel, I believe, uh, at the time. He was a masterful writer and brilliant mind. And he was trained under Galileo, the best pharm- uh, the best pharmacy, the best Pharisee at the time. And he also knew literary styles. So he knew the law of God very well. He was, he was masterful at the law. He says, I love God's law with all my heart. So he was a Pharisee, Pharisee talking here. I love the law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He just wrote in Romans six that we are no longer slaves to sin. Here, here is I think the problem with the American church and the Western church, we take our experience and read it into the text instead of reading things in context. Romans 6 says that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we've been set free from sin, that the body of sin, that sinful self, was done away with. And he's talking about here, But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Yeah, when we feel that way, yeah, we feel miserable. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? (laughs) Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, I found some interesting facts about what Paul is writing here. So Greco-Roman moralists and ethicists at the time wrote these phrases. Uh, Ovid was a Greco-Roman moralist, and he wrote, Desire persuades me one way, but I reason another. I see the better and approved, but I follow the worse. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Epic, 
Tetis, sorry, having a hard time pronouncing that name, was another Greco-Roman moralist, uh, either before Paul or after, or during. He says, what I wish I do not do, and what I do not wish I do. Hmm. There were two more. Two Greco-Roman scholars were in the top 40 greatest philosophers in the first century. And they wrote the same exact thing. That what they did not want to do, they did. And what they did want to do, they didn't do. They, they found this fight on the inside of them. Right? Now, I want to propose this that Romans 7 was the unsaved, regenerate Paul. What, Ryan? No, it couldn't be. He's writing this. Just go with me. The I in Romans 7 is not the person who is writing Romans 6 and 8. Most likely, he is taking on the persona of someone who is representing all of humanity. In fact, of Adam. The only one that was alive apart from the law was Adam. Romans 5 talks about what Adam did, and then Jesus being the second Adam. He came to free us from that. He could also... Sorry. Early church fathers interpreted Romans 7 as it being Paul taking on the persona of Adam. The gospel was meant to fix what Adam made wrong. The Holy Spirit is the answer to that problem. And... And I want to point out that the only time that Holy Spirit is mentioned in this entire chapter is in verse 6. It says, Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And then Romans 8 talks about living in the Spirit, but Romans 7 is all about the law. Most of the early church fathers believe that here Paul was adopting the persona of an unregenerate man not describing his own struggles as a Christian. As far as they were concerned, becoming a Christian would deliver a person from the kind of dilemma the apostle is outlining. (laughs) Ego, which is the Greek word for I, means mankind under the shadow of Adam. Hence, it doesn't embrace Christian existence in its ongoing temptation. What is being said here is already over for the Christian, according to Romans 6 and Romans 7. Uh, Ben Worthington, he is the scholar who has probably done the most work on the rhetoric of the New Testament. He has a number of commentaries that take into effect the society and the rhetoric of that society, showing how Paul uses it. It's probably one of the best commentaries on Romans. What he says is, Paul is dealing with the effect of the law as a Jew would see it. On any fallen human being, whether it is the law written on the heart or the law written on tablets. So what I want you to see here, guys, is that this was the unregenerate Paul. He was talking about his life prior to Christ. It is not his life now. Because in Romans 6, we died. We are no longer slaves to sin. And here he says... I am all too human, a slave to sin, and I am dealing with this constant battle of knowing right and wrong from the law of God. 
You know, the Pharisees in the Old, in the New Testament, they knew the law, yet they did not follow Jesus. So yes, you can know God's law. You can know what's right and wrong and still not come to Jesus. But guys, the freedom is coming to Jesus. It is coming to him, dying to your old sinful life, identifying with his death, his burial, and resurrection, and coming out in newness of life in the spirit and not living underneath that law anymore because he's called us to something higher. He's called us to live by the spirit who writes the laws of God on our heart and he gives us the fear of the Lord so that we live in the spirit and we live in his desire and pleasure all the days of our life that that living underneath the law could never do. So I want you to see here, <laughs> that's my dog groaning. Paul is saying that the only thing that can free you from a life dominated by sin and death is Jesus himself. And yeah, we can say, you know, I believe in Jesus. We, we may add him to our life, but it's when we submit our life to Jesus and submit our life to his spirit that literally we find freedom. We find freedom, guys. We can find freedom now, here, apart from, you know, going through the, the cycle, the sin cycle of, I, I want to do what I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. And just this crazy fight all the time. It's taken over by identifying with the resurrected Christ and letting him live his life through you. So let me pray us out. I pray that this has given you context in where Romans 7 is. This is not your lot in life, Christian. This is saying to you that you died to the law. And now your life is now hidden in Christ. So now go after Christ. Go after the reality of being dead to sin and alive to God and live that reality. Don't live out this reality, your prior life. That dominated you. Now let the spirit dominate you. And we'll talk about that in Romans 8. So Jesus, I so thank you for your life. I thank you for uniting us with your life. Jesus, I thank you so much that you wanted to come and you wanted to become our sin and you wanted to die for us, God, so that we could be set free from sin. God, I ask that paradigms would be broken right now, God. God, that your word was sent like a spear into their heart. God, that they would be set free from this cycle and come to you humbly. And Jesus, that you would set them free, God, from that law of sin and death. And God, that they would come to life in the law of the Spirit. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.